Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Will you please stand with me and join me in the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Will you pray with me? Generous God and giver of all things, we rest this hour in your loving and tender care. And we are revived, restored, and renewed by your strength and encouragement. You go before us in life, leading us in pathways that are secure, and so we trust in your guidance and wisdom. Life-giving God, you have put out the welcome mat for us as we gather to worship you. You have set the table to nourish our souls and bodies through your goodness and tender mercies. You give us an honored place at this table and invite us to stay with you as your guest forever. And for this, we give you our thanks, and we invite you to inhabit our praise this morning. Amen.
Amen. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Let me invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. just mention a couple of things uh, about uh, in your bulletin. Uh, you will notice that the college choir is not up here this morning. Uh, they are unable to sing today, but the plan is for them to be here next Sunday. So just make you aware of that. Uh, also, to, there's an insert in your bulletin about small groups uh, that begin today, and well as uh, groups that meet throughout the week. There's some new groups. Uh, if you're not a part of a group, let me invite you to, um, to join one. And you can see information here about uh, people you can call to get uh, more details about each of the groups. would love to have you involved. Kids Club starts uh, this Wednesday back again and a youth group and various activities also happening. We have just uh, put together also a, a new historical book of our church. We did one uh, in 2002 at our Cecil Centennial. And we have updated that and uh, this is a new version. Some of the things are the same but there's additional information in this book. They're available in the back for you. Just feel free to take one. There is a plate there if you want to give a donation to help with the printing costs. Uh, that's appreciated, but that's not, it's not uh, mandatory. So we want you to, to take those. I find when I read the, the history of what God has done in our church, it, it builds faith for what God is going to do and can do for our church in the years to come. So let me encourage you to take one or more if you would like them and uh, to, uh, to immerse yourself in seeing the miracles and the grace of God to us as a congregation. The Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me and we'll sing the doxology as the ushers come forward.
Let us pray. We offer these gifts, O Lord, in gratitude for your abundant provision, and in hope that you will shape us into generous people, and that in spite of our limits, you might bless the world through us. For the glory of your name, amen. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. God, you are reconciling all things to yourself. By entering our world, you revealed the depths of your love to us. In your coming, you gave us life and called us your children. You have been faithful to us, but we confess that we have not been faithful to you. You want to transform us into new creations, but we are content with the old. You want to take us to new depths, 
but we have settled for the surface. You have set us free, but we hold on to the chains of our past. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins, for those we confess, those we hide, the sins we ignore and justify, and those against our neighbor. Help us to live as citizens of your kingdom so that the world sees your glory and your love. Amen. As we continue in the spirit of prayer, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for your grace to each of us. We thank you that when we confess our sins, you have promised to forgive us fully and completely. We thank you for all of the ways in which you have made our lives what they are. Friendship, relationships, protection and security, for nourishment, all of your blessings, we give you thanks. Father, as we come to this time of prayer, we also know that there are needs and burdens that we represent, that we feel, that we are struggling with. We pray for all who are grieving today and ask for your comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues and pray that you will bring healing, complete and full healing. We pray, Father, for the ministries of our church and as we start small groups and and variety of other ministries, we pray, Father, that, that you will be in the middle of all of these things, that as we serve one another and teach and love one another and as we nourish each other's faith, We pray that you will be glorified in making us more and more like Christ. We think of churches around us and their ministries and their work. And we think of the Belleville Wesleyan Church and Pastor Rob Grimes. May your grace be evident as they worship today, as they serve you, as they influence their community and beyond. Be glorified in who they are as a congregation. Father, we think about the, the world beyond us. Our nation, which we need so much forgiveness and love and unity and grace. For those who have faced and are facing disasters and tragedies. And for our world. Refugees fleeing oppressive, threatening circumstances. For people who live with the vulnerability of war. And attacks and and all of the and so much evil in this world. We pray for protection. We pray for our brothers and sisters who so often, so many live and, and serve you and, and even thrive in the midst of oppression and persecution and opposition. Give them courage, protect them. May their witness be bright and strong. 
May we see the miraculous that you alone can do. Father, thank you for all the ways that you are at work in us and in this world. It's because you have done so much. It's because of all that you have promised. It's because of who you are that we offer this prayer to the power, the presence, and the name of Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us. When the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost, you called the sheep without
Please stand with me for the reading of the gospel. From the gospel of Mark, chapter 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread And give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of the Lord. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. I suspect that that uh, song for some of you, some of us, uh, takes you back to uh, experiences in your life. And we, as I was a child, we used to sing that a lot in our church. And I know that's not true for everyone. But um, it's sort of like this story we've just read. If you grew up in the church, if you went to Sunday school, you, you probably know this story. It's one of those stories that, you know, we, we often tell our children. And it's one of those stories where we talk about the, the miraculous things of Jesus. That's a great story. It's a story, though, that when I read it, I have a fair number of questions. You know, I'm thinking to myself, how big was this place to get 5,000 families? Because, you know, 5,000 men probably means 5,000 families. That's a large area. How did all of them hear Jesus? a lot of people without any kind of amplification system. I also have always wondered, how did Jesus do that miracle? You know, what did it look like? I mean, was it sort of like, you know, the magician just pulling the scarves out of his sleeves? Was it behind his back? Would they just sort of break it? And they just, I, mean, I, I don't know. I can't quite get into my mind what that would look like. I hope there's, a, there's DVR things in heaven so we can see what that was like. Because I'm fascinated by how in the world that happened. I, I don't know. And I think Scripture doesn't tell us because, quite frankly, it's not that important. I think when you read this story, it's it's the question that Jesus asked the disciples that really the story turns on. Different translations have it different ways. How many loaves do you have? How much do you have? I like the... New Living Translation says, how much bread do you have? Because it makes me think back to the 60s and the hippies saying, you know, how much bread you got, man? You got any bread, man? And, of course, I was hip, so I said that, right? I know you all believe that. I was a hip person. I used to be hip. Uh, And it just made me think of that, you know, and it always makes me smile. But, you know, there is something about bread and money because... You know, bread is our sustenance. I mean, you, you have to be able to eat. Actually, you can live longer without money because you can, you can borrow, you can barter for bread, but you've got to have bread. You've got to have something to eat. It's a staple. It's, it's, it's what it means to survive and exist. And Jesus says to, you know, disciples of, earlier in the chapter 6, disciples, Jesus sent them out into the towns and the villages to preach, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And as the story begins, they've come back and they are ecstatic with ideas. They I mean, they are overflowing with the things that God has done in their lives and what he's done through them. They are excited. They are, they, they, I, I expect, what I have in my mind is they're all talking at one time. You know how that is, right? Yeah, but what about my story? What about my story? And Jesus said, you know what, let's get away and let's rest a little bit. Because, you know, when you think about it, success is at least as exhausting as failure. And they're tired. They've exerted themselves in all kinds of ways. And so Jesus said, let's get away and rest. And they try, but the people are always chasing Jesus. And so they end up, I find fascinating, they get there before the disciples and Jesus get there. I don't know how they know exactly where they're going. They must have heard something. And they, they get out of the boat, and there's this huge crowd of people. And so Jesus says, all right, well, let's, let's teach. And after a while, the disciples say, um, Jesus, it's getting kind of late. These people haven't eaten all day. 
I think what they're really saying is we haven't eaten all day. As it says earlier, that Jesus and disciples were so busy, none of them ate. And they're hungry. It's natural. They're hungry. They need to eat. Everybody needs to eat. And they say, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, how about this idea? You guys feed them. I'd love to see the look on their faces when he said that. I don't know if there's an emoji for that or not, but I would love to see it. Right? Uh, Pardon me? Have you seen all these people? Then he asked the question, so how much bread do you have? What have you got? And they come back with five loaves and two fish. That's all they've got. And they're looking at him like, um, what are we going to do with this? And Jesus' question is not just take an inventory of how much food you have. His question is really, he's asking, I think, two questions. One is, what do you have? And the second subtle question is, will you give it to me? They're looking at the fish and the bread. And I can see them going, fish, bread, and thousands of people. And they're kind of like, yeah, it's not going to happen. But what it would do, it wouldn't put a dent in in those 5,000 families, but it would make them feel a little bit better. This would be a small meal for the 12 of them, but it would go, at least it would make a difference. And Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't want to give this up because what will I eat? And Jesus says, will you give it to me anyway? And I'm convinced that that's the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is, what do you have and will you give it to me? Whatever it is. This is not a story that's just about food or money. It is about that. But it's about so much more than that. It's everything in our lives. It's our time, our energy, our gifts, our resources, our possessions, our relationships, our dreams, our forgiveness, our grace. Everything about what God has given to us Jesus is looking at us and saying, think about what you've been given. Now, give it back to me. And to be disciples of Jesus is to give it back to him. It's hard to do that. It's hard to live with that kind of open-handed generosity. But it is the call of the gospel. Because it is, in essence, at its core, it's a call of trusting God. Do we believe that that whatever God gives us, if we give it back to him, it will be better than keeping it? I think there is inherent in this story... Inherent in this call to generosity, this kind of open-handed, extravagant generosity, I think there is a a question about our attitude and our mindset about other people. Earlier in verse 31, I think it is, 
when Jesus, 34, Jesus says he saw the people and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees their need. He sees their brokenness. He sees their struggle. He sees their yearning. He sees all of the way things that they need, all of the ways in which sin and evil have torn their lives apart. And he has compassion on them. He feels it. He sees it. And the disciples, when they see the need, they say to Jesus, send them away. And I think that's at the heart of their struggle is that they they don't see these people as Jesus does. I mean, they both know they're needy. It's just that Jesus sees their need and says, I can do something about that. These are people who are yearning for something. The disciples see their need and say, I don't want to mess with that. It's too much trouble. It's too much. It's too big. And it is. How in the world are those disciples going to feed 5,000 families? As they say, even if we went out and bought, if we had enough money that we could buy more than half a year's supply of food, I don't think it would take care of it. And where would we find it? You ever feel that way about just one more news story? You know, one more tragedy? One more natural disaster? One more, one more violent attack? One more people group who become refugees. One more war zone. One more child facing horrific things. One more, one more, one more. And quite frankly, it becomes overwhelming. And sometimes what we want to do, I want to do, I'll speak for myself, is to just say, I just don't want to see it anymore. I can't take it. And there is a place for boundaries. And there is a place for, for, as Jesus even does, to pull back. But it's not because we don't feel compassion for people. It's because we need to recharge our resources so we can do something about the compassion that we need to feel for people. And the problem, I think, with one of the problems about our, our struggle with generosity is that our hearts are, aren't soft toward the people who have needs. We, we get so hardened and we get so calloused because, again, we think we've got to hoard and protect what we have and there's no space, there's no room to really be generous with people in need. And the reason we do that is because we're not really seeing them as people in need. We're seeing them as people who are taking from us, who want to zap our strength and our energy and our resources and our grace and our forgiveness. And quite frankly, we just don't want to do it. We don't care about them that much. And so we gather our stuff. It's a human struggle. We all wrestle with it. But the call of Jesus is to let him begin breaking down our hearts. And generosity follows. Sometimes we try to be generous. And quite frankly, it becomes irritating and annoying and frustrating because when you try to be generous without really having a new heart you become resentful it's only when god changes our hearts works in our hearts gives us eyes to see as he sees the generosity begins to flow out of us
That's why prayer becomes so important in the process of becoming generous people. Because one of the prayers that we, we pray is, God, work on my heart. God, give me new eyes for people to see them the way you see them. Give me new the, the ability to, to, to view them, not as people who are, who are taking from me, but as people that you want to help. Help me to see that you want to make me a channel of blessing and grace and healing and mercy into their lives. Just as he is doing that same thing with other people in our lives. If we pray that prayer enough, God begins to soften our hearts. We become different people. But it's not just about how we view other people. Ultimately, it comes down to how we view God. There is within us, when we think about generosity and we think about giving to God, we tend to gravitate toward formulas. I give God this much. That's all God's asking of me, and that's what I give Him. We teach our children. Not a bad thing, but we teach our children. Uh, I was reading this week, a woman said that when she was young, her experience was not all that unlike probably most of ours. When, for every dollar she got, 50 cents she saved, and 40 cents she could spend, and 10 cents went to God. And she said, what I discovered is that became something very mechanical. And it became something where I I just fit everything I got into that formula. And then when I read that, the first thing that came to my mind was, I'm not sure that's the best way to teach our children. Do we want to teach them to give to God? Definitely. Do we want it to become something that just becomes natural to them? Of course. I'm so grateful that my parents ingrained that into me. That giving to the kingdom is just a part of being a follower of Jesus, a part of my life. But my fear is that when we, when we talk to our children about formulas like that, what, we're, what we may be doing is teaching them the mindset of how little can we give to God instead of how generous can we be. Now, we ought to prepare and save and plan for the future. Of course we do. That's wise. That's important. But in the context of being generous, in the context of trusting God, in the context of generosity, not scarcity. I think we wrestle with living lives of scarcity. I think sometimes as a church, we do that. We're always thinking, you know, we're trying to figure out how can we just eke by instead of how generous can we be? I have a friend who was talking to me this week about his children. He says it drives him crazy because his children waste food. Probably most of us as children wasted food. We probably still waste food. Uh, we, we live in a, in a culture in which, quite frankly, we can do that. But he said it really bugs him because he wants to teach his children not to be wasteful. And he's trying to, he said, you know, I, I want them to eat even if they're full. Because the food's on their plate. And they don't want to. He said, it's just really bugging him. And he said, then one day, not too long ago, God put a new idea into his mind that maybe his children are wasteful because they have no concern about where their next meal is going to come from. 
They never worry that when they wake up tomorrow morning that there's, that there's going to be food available. They never come home after school and wonder if there's going to be food for dinner. They never have to worry about that. And it creates this mindset in which, in essence, there is a freedom to waste what they have. And he says, if God tapped me on the shoulder and said, that's how I want you to live. Now, do we want to waste food? No, of course we don't. But there is this, this mindset of what God has given us that, that is the difference between generosity and scarcity. Because we so often view God with a mindset of scarcity. we got to keep what we've got because God may not give us anything else. We've got to hang on to what we have. We've got to be tight-fisted with it because we don't know if God's going to really do anything else for us. This may be all we get from God, so we better hold it tight. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when Mary pours a year's worth of perfume on his feet. And the disciples say, what a waste. And Jesus says, no, it's not. It's hard for us to grasp that mentality because we just have lived so long with the mindset of scarcity. It's hard for us to think about generosity that's reckless and extravagant and abundant and maybe to some people looks wasteful. We can do that because God's supply never runs out. Now, there are people who take that statement, who take the, the, get to the end of the story and you have all these baskets full of food. And, and people take that and say, here's the principle of the story. If you give God what you have, he'll give you more. So it's usually interpreted in terms of money. So if you give God $10, he'll give you 100 If you give God 100 he'll give you 1000 If you give God 1000 he'll give you 10000 The more you give God, the more money you'll get back. The problem with that is that implies that God's greatest blessings are material. And they're not. God's greatest blessings are things like joy and peace and freedom. Because the alternative to living, living open-handed is living tight-fisted. And when you live tight-fisted, there's not freedom. There's bondage. Because you spend your whole life trying to hoard and protect and, and, and keep away from other people what we have. And that's not freedom. That's bondage. And there's no joy in bondage. Freedom is in being able to say... I'm living open-handedly. God, here it is. It's yours. And I think we all are on a journey to that. We, this, is a, this is a lifelong struggle that all of us will make and all of us will take. There's something in our minds that sort of believes those television commercials you sometimes hear about investment agencies. Past success is not necessarily indicative of future performance. I think we kind of think that about God sometimes. Yeah, God's been great here. That was awesome. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about next month. I don't know about next year. I, I'm really going to need to be awfully careful 
And yet, scriptures tell us again and again and again that God rewards generosity because it, it's, a, it's a heart that's open. And when our hearts are open, God has, there's room for God to fill us with his spirit of joy and peace and love and grace and holiness. You look at those baskets that are left over. When they get to the end of it, there are 12 baskets full. I don't know how big the baskets are, but I'm pretty sure they're good-sized baskets. There's a basket for every single disciple. They end up with more than they had to start with. Which is phenomenal because when Jesus asks them, how much do you have? Every one of them is in essence saying, not enough. Doesn't matter how much we've got, it's not enough. And we get to the end of it and Jesus says, really? What's that in your hand? Oh, that's a basket full of food. I can handle this. You can trust me. And again, it's not just about money. It's not just about possessions. It's about all of life. Maybe one of our greatest struggles in in being generous is things like forgiveness. We don't want to forgive. We want to hold on to the hurt and the pain. And all all it does is keep us in bondage. And God is calling us to let go and to be, be extravagantly generous with forgiveness because he is. And maybe it's grace. I mean, there are people in our lives and people in our world that we find it very difficult to extend grace. Maybe it's because they keep asking for it again and again and again and again and again. And we're like, I'm at the end of that. I can't do this anymore. I, I, don't have, I, I have no more grace to give. I, I just can't. And then we look at that basket full of grace that each disciple is holding. And you realize that the only reason we have any grace to give in the first place is because God keeps giving grace to us. Continually. Every moment. There's freedom in that. I think we wrestle with living lives of joy. Maybe it's because we don't really live lives of faith. And and maybe we don't live lives of faith because we never really give God the opportunity to test our faith. And maybe we never give God the opportunity to test our faith is because when you boil it all down, we're not really sure that God is who he says he is. I wonder if that's why there are a number of scholars who have said that when Mark writes this story, he's reminding his Jewish audience of Psalm 23. Jesus looked on the crowd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. These are people in need and in want. They're in a remote place. They, they, he has them sit, not just in the grass, but the green grass. And when it's all done, there's abundance. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to do the King James. That's what I learned. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a remote place, I will not fear, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not a new picture of God that Jesus is presenting us. This is the God who has always been and always will be. And perhaps there is no more vivid picture of that than this table. God, the ultimate giver, the ultimate being of generosity, God whose very nature is generosity, who chooses generosity every single time. While we were yet sinners, that God sends his son. This is the God who's calling us to trust him with whatever we have. He's asking every one of us, what do you have? And I think the answer to that question, the idea he puts in our mind is probably going to be different for every one of us. But he's asking us, what do you have? And then he's saying, will you give it to me? And find me to be not just enough, but more than enough. Holy Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for the the blessings you pour out in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. As we come to this table this morning, help us to come with hearts that are open to you. Hearts that desire to reflect who you are. Thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Help us to trust you and to find in you exactly who you say you are. The Christ we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, gave it to his disciples. So drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. So let me know as you like, if you would like those as you come forward. We practice open communion to Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but 
If you come today with your heart open to Christ, you come today with, with a desire for Him to change your heart, to make you into His image, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.